0: Man, glad y'all made it um, tonight. Thanks for, for spending your Sunday night with, with us. Um, I know a lot of y'all had an easy week and you're getting prepared for a busier week. Um, and so tonight, um, I just wanted to speak to y'all um, about a thing that, that I know, um, and I spoke a little bit last week on it. Um, a thing that I, I know a lot, of, a lot of you are dealing with. <clears throat> now I know that you're dealing with it because when I was your age, I dealt with it, my friends dealt with it. Um, <clears throat> and it's this thought of anxiety, this is thought of, uh, of, and what I mean by anxiety is the worry, um, even the fear, even some that leads to depression uh, of events going on in your life, whether, whether that's your, your grades or even going home to your family, um, <clears throat> whether that's um, dealing with teachers or, or your performance and things, um, that often we allow it to build um, a, a large amount of anxiety in our life. Um, and it tends to weigh us down. And so, uh, and, I, and I wanted to, to, to look at this point that, that the fact is that anxiety limits your potential. That, that not only does it, it, does it like come so naturally But when you are anxious, you are actually limiting what you can achieve, that you actually achieve less in your anxious state than you would if you were relaxed and not as anxious. And the way you can, the way I'm going to paint this picture for you is, is it is measured. You can measure it in the most active um, and one of the hardest military forces that we, our country has, that there's actually, by the way that they do it, you can actually see how anxiety affects soldiers. It's the Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs, they go to training. Um, it's like an extracurricular training, right? You could, you could be in the Navy, <clears throat> but, but to be a Navy SEAL is like training on top of that. And it's elite training. And, and not everyone makes it, not everyone even, is even eligible to do it. And they spend uh, a number of, of months out um, training. And, and as they do it, what they have to do are things like swimming um, two miles in the ocean. That you go out and there's like a cone, like you're gonna swim all the way out in that ocean and you're gonna swim back. They have to carry phone poles. There's a picture of it right there. That like they will take them. Hey, I need y'all to squat down with that phone pole. I need you to give it a hundred crunches together. And I need to pick it up. And you're gonna run a mile. Those phone poles weigh like 500 pounds. That they put them in the mud and in the dirt and in the cold. That they just beat them up. And they, they, they really try to tear them down and get to, to the nitty gritty part of them that, that really is like, man, I want to break you to your least. I want to make it where you quit. And when they do that, if a thousand people were to join, only 200 would actually pass. That means for the mathematicians out there, if there's 10 of you, only two of you make it. Usually we run um, around 70 high schoolers on Sunday nights. In the mornings, if you come in the morning, we we run probably about 10 more, about 80. So you think about that, I don't know what the math is at. One and a half of you would make it, or or five and a half of you, or no, what is that? Seven of you would make it? Um, Nope, 16 of you would make it. So out of all of this right here, 16 of you would make it if you all went to the Navy SEALs. 16 of you would come out as conquerors. As man, I achieved it. I got through it. And you know what they say? There's a guy that wrote a book about it. And he says, here's the key to passing uh, the training. <clears throat> he said, it's not, it's not about how physically able you are. That most people could complete the training. <clears throat> yeah, there's some hard things and some difficult things. He it said, it's not about how physically able you are, but rather it is about how mentally stable you are. He said, the guys that fail are the guys that go in and they get the list of, of all the training and all the things that they're going to have to do. And, and then they begin to worry about it. And after this 10-mile run, I know that that we've got another like five-mile uphill climb, and then I know I've got to swim, and I don't know how I'm going to make all of that. And they're they're constantly calculating how far they think their body can carry them uh, through the training, and how far and how far. And so then they get anxious about it, they get stressed about it. And what I said, anxiety limits your ability that it limits what you can achieve. And they have a bell at the front of the training facility that as soon as you're ready to quit, as soon as you're ready to get a good hot meal and sleep in a warm bed and take a shower and get some rest, you can go ring that bell. And immediately they'll pack your stuff up, they'll send you back to your unit, you'll be completely done. And it says the the reason that 80% of people don't pass is because they're thinking about everything they've got to do. And they begin to get anxious about it. It begins to stress them out. It begins to overwhelm them. And so they quit. The people that pass, he says, uh, it, is, it is across the board unanimous that the way they think about things is they're not thinking about the 10-mile run and the 5-mile uphill hike and the 2-mile swim to come, and, and then they got to be kept up for 5 days with only getting 4 hours of sleep. That's a real thing. They're not thinking about all that. All they're thinking about is, okay, I got to run 10 miles. Okay, I'm going to take one one step. I'm going to take one more step. I'm going to take one more step. That they're only thinking about the very next thing. That they're not thinking about all the things in front of them. You're going to go to college, some of you that choose to, and the first day of class, Your professor's going to get up and they're gonna give you a thing called a syllabus. You may or may not get them in high school. I'm pretty sure I didn't even know what they were in high school. Um, We may have got them. I was just a C student and so I didn't know. but you're going to get a syllabus and on this syllabus is all the work you're going to do for the semester. And they're going to tell you about how difficult this class is and how many hours of studying they expect and how many books you're going to read and all of this stuff. And the point is to overwhelm the the weak students. So they quit and they don't have to worry about it because the professors in college want to teach the students that want to learn. And the whole point of the first day is to scare you out of taking the class. And the people, That quit are the ones that look at that whole syllabus and say, Man, I'll never be able to accomplish this. And the people that succeed are the ones that say, Okay, I got an assignment due in a week. I'm gonna do that assignment. And then when that's done, they say, I'm gonna do the next assignment. It's the reason that I'm not a very good runner. I was talking about it with a small group this morning. I'm a terrible runner. Some of you could say amen to that because you're also terrible runners. I told them I have a two-mile defensive run that I try to be able to run two miles. So if I have to run from somebody, I'll be able to accomplish those two miles. And then if they catch me, I deserve to be caught. And if they don't catch me, well, man, I got away. And if I have to chase someone, then I'm going to chase them for about two miles. And if I catch them, man, then that's what's up. But if I don't catch them, then they deserve to get away. And so I have a two-mile defensive run because when I try to run more than two miles, I began to get overwhelmed. Often when I start to run, I think about, man, I, it, my, my, mind, my mind setting goes from this. It goes from, man, this is going to be hard. I don't know if I can do this. To Man, I probably can't do this. Man, I can't make it all that way. No, I can't. I can't do it. And, and next thing I know, I'm walking. That a lot of you, anxiety is the same way for you in your life, that it begins to weigh you down, but it's not a physical thing necessarily for you. It's an emotional thing or, or a, a, an academic thing where, where things in your life right now are weighing you down and you're thinking about all the things that are going to overwhelm you. You're thinking about all the things that are, that are going to, to be placed on top of you. You're thinking about the year in front of you. You're thinking about all the the ways that you've got to perform to the expectations you've set for yourself or others have set for you. You think, man, how am I ever going to perform at this level? And you think about all the things you've got to do to get there. And it makes you anxious. And what you need to know, like I said, is then in that anxiety, you're actually limiting your potential. And the issue is, and kind of the interesting thing is, is that man has been dealing with anxiety since the very beginning of time, and yet we continue to kind of deal with it in the same way, and we don't ever find an alternative solution. Even in the very beginning, you look at the book in the Bible, Genesis, you look at Adam and Eve, the very first two people, they eat from the the knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't eat from that tree, like, yo, eat anything else. They eat from it, and instantly they realize they've sinned and they messed up. And what do they do? They put on some fake clothes and then they hide. They say, no, like, we, we, we don't want God to see us. And you, and you know, it's an, it's an anxious reaction. They're anxiously awaiting God to find them in fear of what will happen. They're hiding. Even the first people dealt with anxiety and the pressure of life. You see it even hundreds of years later, Paul writes in the book of Philippians to the church of Philippi. They're dealing with anxiety. They're dealing with things that seem to be overwhelming to them. I'm gonna be honest with you, just a moment of vulnerability. A lot of my Sunday mornings, a lot of my Sunday mornings, I wake up before my alarm clock and what I'm thinking about the whole day, what I'm thinking about in that morning is the whole day in front of me. The reason I'm anxious is because I'm thinking about all the things that I've got to accomplish. And I think about, man, is it? what do I got to do to make it go over well? And are students going to show up to it? And then if students show up, are they going to enjoy it? Are they going to appreciate being in God's house? And are they going to learn something? Are they going to be changed by it? That every Sunday, you can think about me next Sunday at like 6 a.m. That I wake up anxious sometimes. And a lot of you, that's your, your, your everyday school life. And tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up anxious because of the things you've got in front of you. And you're going to think about the week, and you're going to think about, man, here's the test I got, and here's the classes I got, and here's the practices I have. And Paul writes to this church who is dealing very similarly with anxiety, and he tells them some things that, that are really um, life-changing but what he tells them is he doesn't tell them and and we're going to get into it he doesn't tell them i want you to hear this before i read it he doesn't tell them hey here's some some key solutions like just man it's like a special special remedy to cure your anxiety you just do these five easy steps and, and you're cured no he says hey here's a lifestyle change I want you to hear that. A lot of you take Christian as easy steps, like a, a little special remedy I do when I'm in trouble. But Christianity isn't that. God says, no, I, w- I want you to have a lifestyle change that's centered around me. He says, man, in your lifestyle change, do you, you see the benefits of a life in me? And so Paul's encouraging them uh, to, to accomplish this lifestyle change. And this is what he says. This is Philippians 4, 4 through 7. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. And so he starts this way. And what you need to know, you can probably read that verse backwards. Can you go back to the verse for me real quick? You can probably read that verse backwards. Hey, remember, the Lord is coming soon. So be full of joy. Hey, remember, whatever you're dealing with and whatever's going on in your life is going to end. Often in high school, the problem is, is that you have not seen past what you're experiencing today. That you don't know when this stage of your life will end. That's why you get anxious. Man, when will this end? When will this let up? That's why you make irrational decisions sometimes. Because you lost all hope, man, this is never going to end. Life is never going to get easier. Because to this point, life has probably only gotten harder for you. It's gotten harder to figure out. It's gotten harder to get good grades. It's gotten harder to make friends. It's gotten harder to, to find approval from others. It's gotten harder to be unique and to be noticed. And you're like, man, when will this stage end? What you need to understand is when you get to college, it gets a whole lot better. That it doesn't. But the problem is you don't know that. You've never experienced that. He says, so whatever you're dealing with, just know it will end, that the Lord will come back, that, that you, you are not stuck in this forever. He says, so rejoice. And, and then he kind of throws this weird sentence in the middle. He says, and let everyone see that you're considerate in all that you do. Uh, Like, I I think about it like anxious people like instantly transform into like a chihuahua, right? They're like so nippy and like snippy and they're so short-tempered. And when someone's anxious, you can probably attest to this about yourself, that when you're anxious and someone like asks you to do something, you're like, no, 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 like stop that. And you like become like this little like feisty animal. Like when Nolan and I fight, the most often we fight is when I'm anxious. It's when I've got something that's occupying my mind. And it limits how good of a husband I can be because I'm anxious about something else. And so what he says, is right here, what he says, he says, what I want you to do is remember that God's coming back. So rejoice in the Lord and then be considerate. Don't allow it to take over your life. And then he addresses it head on. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. He says, all right, so don't be anxious about anything. Instead, I want you to pray about everything. And here's how I want you to pray. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds everything or anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but instead I want you to pray like this. He says, first, I want you to pray and tell God what you need. Often, if you've been raised in the church, I'm talking to you right now, that often your prayer consists of like, dear God, thank you for this food. Help me have a good day. Amen. That is not prayer. Like that is you reciting a quote that you have said since you were six. Prayer is getting before God and saying, God, here is my heart and here is my mind. And not that, that when you go and eat your food, you can't say, man, God, thank you for this blessing. Thank you for this food. May it be nourishing to my body. May it give me the nutrients I need to do your ministry. Man, And if you pray that every day and really mean it, yes, that's absolutely prayer. But the way a lot of us say it is a robotic sense. God, thank you for today. Help me have a good night's sleep. Amen. And we, and we stick to this. And he says, no, that's not what I'm telling you to do. I'm not telling you to go to God as a robot. I'm telling you to go to God with what's on your heart. That you tell him what you truly need. That you tell him what you're truly fearing. That you tell him why you're fearing it. That you truly begin to open up a conversation with the Lord about what's on your heart. And then he says something that's key that a lot of us stop there if we do that at all. But then the next part is crucial. He says, but then I want you to thank him for all that he has done. Not all that he will do, not all that he is doing, but all that he has done. If you're going to be thankful about what someone has done, it calls for you to recall what they've done. He says, I want you to recall everything that God has done in the past, all the ways he's provided for you, all the things he's accomplished in your life. If you're sitting here and you can hear my voice, what I want you to understand right now is that you are a very blessed people. That last night you probably slept in a climate controlled environment. And if you did not, you had a blanket to keep you warm enough from freezing to death. And I guarantee you ate. And if you hadn't eaten all day, you just had some pizza. And because we still have some leftover pizza, or we did, it means none of you hadn't eaten all day because you would have eaten the rest of that that you are blessed, that God is in fact taking care of you. But often when our anxiety gets a hold of us, eyes right here, I want you to see this. Often when our anxiety gets a hold of us, our eyes go down on our problem and we see an island and all we see is the problem. And we're, we're stuck on that. And so we begin to get anxious and depressed and worried and, and limit what we can do because we see our island of a problem. And he's saying, hey, I want you to get your eyes up and I want you to look back at all the other little problems you had and realize that God is taking care of you in that and realize that today you are alive because God continues to take care of you in that. That you are blessed. That you're breathing. That you have sound mind. That your heart beats strong. He says, I want you to thank God for all that he's done. And then this is the really cool part. He says, and then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And so, Paul again. He says, hey, I'm not telling you to, to, to do a special remedy, to do the, the two easy steps of an anxiety-free life. He's saying, I'm telling you to have a lifestyle change, that you begin to take your issues to God and say, God, here's what's on my heart, and here's what I'm dealing with. And God, man, but I'm not forgetful about how you provide it. God, I'm resting in your consistency. That God, you are a God that, that will continue to provide because you are a God who has provided in the past and you never change. He says, and then in that moment, the peace of God, which exceeds your understanding, which goes beyond your circumstances, which leaves you dumbfounded, meaning you say, what I don't understand. I am dumb to the situation as to why I have peace in this moment. And then that peace will overcome you. That your anxiety is removed. God slowly removes your anxiety as you continue to remember how He provides and you continue to give Him what's on your heart and on your mind. He Man, if you're anxious, if you're dealing with anxiety, man, take it to the Lord. Remember how He's provided. And then I would encourage you that you then take the next step That you don't focus on the 10 or the 20 or the 30 days of school left or the 100 days of school left. You don't focus on on what people are going to think of you or on the imperfections in your performance. But you just take the next step. Okay, I'm going to take a step to get better. Okay, I'm going to take a step to get this grade done. Okay, I'm going to take a step to achieve what God has put on my heart. Okay, and, and you're looking at the next step and you're not looking 10 miles down the road allowing it to overwhelm you. Because, man, that's how we deal with anxiety. We bring it before God. I've been reading this book. If, if you are a book reader in here and you, you want a good book to read, it's called The Insanity of God. And what it's about is a guy named uh, Ken. No, Nick Ripken. But his real name is actually Ken Perkins. Um, but he had to change his name um, because for the sake of the safety of the people he was interviewing. But what he did was he, tro- he traveled around. He's a missionary. He got really down and out about his, his um, ministry in Somalia. He was like, man, it's just not growing. It's not thriving. So he went and he began um, to, to, to fly around the world. And interview, interview Christians who were being persecuted. And what he found. Um, what he found was the places where the deepest persecution was happening. Was that the gospel was spreading the quickest that in China, there was over, uh, I think they said um, 10 million Christians at that time. And they were all in secret house churches that the pastors considered, um, that considered prison as, as their seminary. That when they went to prison, God did such great things. And they met other pastors in, seminary that, in, in prison that they grew so much. They said, no, that's our seminary. Our seminary is prison. That we don't actually consider you persecuted until you go to prison. And so often, I want you to remember this because so often we're so eager to say, God, get me out of this trial. Get me out of here. Like, get get this past me. Like, help me accomplish this so I can be anxiety free. Like, I want to be done with this. And God says, No, I want you to um, quote from another leader, I want you to embrace the suck. Like, things suck right now, but I want you to embrace it. He says, Because in that, does God tend to grow our faith? That in the persecution, we have to have a stronger faith. Or we just lose it all together. And so, so often, I just want you to think on that for a minute. You got some things going on in your life and some trials going on in your life. And they're one of two reasons. One, you've caused them. And so, just stop that. Um, or two, they're out of your control and, and God has put them there because he wants to grow you and do a new work in you. And he's not leaving you. He hasn't forgot about you. He's not saying like, Hey, have fun in the trial. Now go and die. No, he's saying like, no, like I, I want you to work through this. I want, I want your faith to grow. So I'm going to allow some things to go on in your life, but but I haven't abandoned you. But in that moment, in that time, he says, man, bring, bring those to me. Bring those trials to me. Bring those, those pains to me. Tell me what's on your heart. But then remember. Remember all that I've done for you. Some of you, and we're closing on that. Some of you have never made a list. I encourage you to do this. I've never made a list of all the ways All the ways God's provided. I mean, from the smallest things to the biggest things. Like, I challenge you to deal with that. If you deal with anxiety on a real level, on a big level, I challenge you to go home and this week work on a list. Work on a list of all the ways that God has provided in your life. The big ones, the small ones, every one of them. I want you to, I want you to take some time and do it. And I promise you that if you've got it done in 30 minutes, then you're doing it wrong, that you're not thinking of everything. that if it only takes you one page, you're probably not thinking of everything. But I challenge you to go home and then don't throw that list away. I want you to hang out on your wall and be a remembrance to you all the way that God provides. He is a faithful God, never changing. And yet he loves you deeply. So as I close, I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray what I need you to know about what I've said to you tonight is that this applies to those who have found faith in Jesus Christ, to those who have received the saving grace of Jesus. That if you're in here and you've never come to a moment where you say, God, I realize that I am a sinner, that I am messed up, that my way of achieving in life is not the best way. And I realized that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and beat death so that I may have life. That if you have never confessed that to God, then you are not saved. And here's what I need you to understand. That it's going to be really hard for you to find peace in a God that you do not have a relationship with. He said, Man, for those that are my sons and my daughters that have found faith in me, then come to me with the things in your heart. Remember the way that I've saved you and I'm providing for you. But here's the good news. If you don't know Jesus, He says, I sent my son, God said, I sent my son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you that whoever would believe, whoever, Whoever, anyone, any person who's done anything would place their faith in me, they would have eternal life. And they would find life abundantly. That there is opportunity for you to confess and to surrender your life to Jesus. To say, man, it's not my life anymore. I want to die to my ways. God, I want want to pursue your ways. I want you to have your way in my life. If you've never done that, and God's pulling on your heart to do that tonight, man, come find a leader, come find me. We'll be off to the sides, kind of off to the back. We'd love to walk you through that. But if you are, are saved, you have a relationship with Jesus. And run to him. Stop carrying that burden. Find the peace of God. Tell him what you need, remember what he's done and take that next step forward. God, we love you We thank you for all you do. Lord, be with us now as we uh, just sing one more worship song to you, God. Meet us in this time, meet us in this place, convict our hearts where necessary. God, fill us with the peace of you as we remember your promises. In Jesus' name.